If you have your Bibles with you this evening, I would ask that you get them out and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This will be the text of our consideration this evening, verses 14 to 39, Acts 2, 14 to 39. And if you will, leave your Bibles turned open to this text. We will take a very close look at it this evening and often reference back to it uh, as we go through our study tonight. I want to say how good it is to be here again with you today, and I prayed for all of us as we come to this place to worship God and to study His Word that we would, as Ezra did in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, prepare our hearts to seek the law of the Lord, to seek the Word of God, and I pray that as we do that this evening that we will all be benefited from our study. <clears throat> for, the take of, for the sake of time and sanity, we will not read the entire text. We will begin in verse 22. Acts 2 and 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. <clears throat> him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holded of it. Skip down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know certainly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This sermon that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is quite possibly the greatest gospel sermon that's ever been given. And I want to start this lesson by saying that we could not possibly discuss everything that Peter says here in these 25 verses tonight. But I pray that we can examine this sermon together and that we can truly gain from our study of it. This evening there are a few main points that I want us to consider as we go through this study of Peter's sermon. We could preach an entire gospel meeting on just these 25 verses of Scripture. So tonight I want to try and bring just a few things to our minds, if you'll allow me that. I want us to see what I believe are timeless principles. Timeless principles that we can take and we can apply to our lives. We can use these things daily. And if we will do these things, we can not only live a life that magnifies the holiness of God, but it brings glory to His name. And that is why we are created, is to glorify God. Now, in order for us to do this, we must go back to the beginning of Peter's sermon in verse 14. If you'll recall, Jesus told His disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that after they had endued, been endued with power from on high, after the Holy Ghost had fallen upon them, at that point... They were to preach, beginning in Jerusalem, repentance and remission of sins in His name. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we see this taking place. They are endued with power from on high after that the Holy Ghost had fallen upon them. And they, being the eleven, began to speak in tongues. Now, verse 13, we find that there are people standing by who heard them speaking in tongues. And those in verse 13, the Bible says, they began to mock them. They said that these men are full of new wine. They're accusing the apostles of being drunk. Now, verse 14. We see in the beginning of this home run, this grand slam of a gospel sermon, something very important. This sermon is truly powerful, and it's, it's no wonder to me that the, the gospel had such an explosive response on the day of Pentecost. The first timeless principle that we see in the beginning of this sermon is one that we can use each day, every one of us. We can use it with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our co-workers. We can use this to take the gospel to the world. The first timeless principle that we can apply to our lives to be more effective in evangelism, and that's what we're considering tonight, is to be effective in evangelism, is to be bold. We have to be bold. Because as Peter stands before thousands of people and he begins to preach to them the gospel of Christ, the first thing that captures my attention is the extreme boldness with which he preaches. Notice verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifts up his voice, and he said, Ye men of Judah and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Peter says it's nine o'clock, and you're accusing these men of being drunk. Notice Peter in verse 14 is not sitting down in his chair. He's not looking down at his shoes. He's not just looking over the head of his audience. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he's standing up. He's lifting up his voice. Peter is not whispering to these people a few of his think-sos. He's declaring the Word of God to them boldly. This is how we preach the Word of God. This is how we preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, Peter says. He, he's demanding their attention. He's demanding for them to listen to what he has to say. He's a man who needs to be heard. And he demands a hearing with them throughout the entirety of this sermon. Peter is bold as a lion. Notice verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you as the patriarch David. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know as certainly, that's without a doubt... Verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. This is the boldness with which Peter spoke in verse, in verse 14. And he did this throughout the entire text. Now I want to mention this word boldness that I keep using. I believe a lot of times this word can be misunderstood by many people. This does not mean that we go into the world, we take our Bibles, and we beat people across the head with it. That we are arrogant, that we act like we have arrived. 
That's not what this word means. This word can be accomplished by each one of us. It can be accomplished with meekness, with humility, with love for our fellow man. That's why we're preaching this gospel. This word boldness in the original Greek language is actually a compound word. It's it's two words together that literally mean all speak. It means not to hold anything back whatsoever. And that's exactly what we see from Peter in this sermon. He does not hold anything back at all. And seeing this from Peter leads me to ask a question. What in the world got into Peter? Rather, who got into Peter? Because if you'll remember before when Peter's confidence was in himself, he denied Jesus of Nazareth three times. But you see, when we as Christians are being led and we have a spiritually minded life, when God is our focus and our confidence is in Him, and we allow Him to lead us, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We cannot keep from declaring the Word of God to the world boldly. Now verse 15 and 16, we see Peter is correcting the error of these Jews. They've accused the apostles of being drunk. Verse 15, Peter says, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And this leads me to the next point, and that is the high, high view that Peter had of the Word of God. The high view that he had of Scripture. In verse 16, we see when Peter opens his mouth, the Word of God just pours out of him. You see, Peter's not talking about himself. He's not speaking of himself. He's not talking about the dead religion that is around them. He's speaking of and quoting the Word of God. I want you to notice what Peter quotes in verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days... This is a reference to the last days of the Mosaical Age. The last days of this dispensation. Now Peter adds two words to his quotation from Joel chapter 2 verse 28. Saith God. Or some translations will render it as God says. Now I hope that we see the importance of just these two words tonight. Peter is placing such a high view on the Word of God. He understands, in reality, what Joel said is what God said. Peter is showing not only to his audience in Acts chapter 2, but to us as well, who is truly speaking. It's God. God is the one who's speaking. Now, I want you, if you have a pencil with you tonight, to just go through verses 17, 18, and 19 and circle all of the first-person singular pronouns, I and my. Each one of these referring to God Himself. Notice verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18, And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs 
and the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. As the Scriptures are being cited and they're being proclaimed by Peter, brethren, understand who is speaking here. It's not Peter. He is simply the mouthpiece. He's simply the the instrument in which God is using. But it is God who's being heard. When the Scriptures speak, God speaks. And Peter continues this throughout his entire sermon. Verses 25 to 28, Peter's quoting Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. Verse 30, he's quoting Psalm 132, verse 11. Verse 31, he's quoting Psalm 16, verse 10. And in verses 34 and 35, he's quoting Psalms 110, verse 1. Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture, Peter is quoting on the day of Pentecost. And I want to just say this again. When Peter is quoting, God is speaking. Let us all learn from this. Let us learn from this. When when we talk to other people about Jesus, when we go out into the world and we're being evangelistic and we're evangelizing, there is a time to tell personal stories or or testimonies, if you will. There is a time to to give an example or, or an illustration that explains the divine truth. But we must remember that all of those things are secondary. They're secondary in a gospel witness. What must take primary focus over all else is the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. So secondly, we have seen not only the high view of Scripture by Peter, but the infallibility and the inherency of the Word of God. That in order to have a successful gospel witness, Scripture has to be at the epicenter of it all. It has to be the primary focus of what we're doing. Because, Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Brethren, there has not been, nor will there ever be, a soul saved without the hearing of the Word of God. Now verse 21. This is the highest hill from Peter's quotation of Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. This is the climax. This is the most important verse from that quotation. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice the certainty with which God Himself speaks in verse 21. That whosoever, and and thank God for the whosoever, Because this means that no matter who a person is, no matter where they came from or what kind of background they might have, it means no matter what this person has done, they too have the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. There is not one person that's left out of whosoever. And God Himself gives a divine promise to the whosoever that call upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. That whosoever is willing to turn from their own righteousness, whosoever is willing to trust in the Lord with a faith that surrenders in complete obedience, they shall be saved. Are you listening? There's an elder from my home congregation in Arkansas. He's 
passed away several years ago. He's probably spoken before many of you. He would always say that right before he was ready to make a big point. Are you listening? There is not a single person that is breathing, a single person that is living that does not need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus is to everyone, and we can teach it to everyone. You will never come in contact with someone in the world who does not desperately need the gospel like you need your next breath. It's that serious. It is that real. Therefore, we, as disciples of Jesus, have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to those that we come in contact with. We must be careful that we do not become the servant in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 and 25, who just hid his talent in the sand. So I say this with all humility and love. We need to go and teach the gospel. Now, as we enter into verses 22 to 36, we see Peter laying out the gospel of Christ. And there are so many comments that could be made for every single verse that follows. But tonight I want to try to condense this. I want to try to narrow this down a little bit. Beginning in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. We have to stop here. We need to go back to verse 21. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter knows that the $64 million question would then be asked, What is his name? What is the name of the Lord? Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth. That is the name of the Lord. That is the name of whom you must call upon in order to be saved. Peter would go on to say in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That narrows it down. There's only one name that you must call upon. Jesus of Nazareth. The one who was made flesh and dwelt among us. The one that was born of a woman born under the law to redeem us. The one for our own sake who himself was made to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who was able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne in the presence of his glory. The one who achieved perfect righteousness under the law and imputes it to us through the gospel. The one that Peter says they themselves knew. Verse 23, Him. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Brethren, please notice that Peter did not hesitate. He did not stutter when presenting this truth. He tells them very plainly, very clearly, God delivered His Son, but you crucified Him. This is the most heinous crime that could be committed. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God was slaughtered and slain by the hands of godless men, by haters of God, and you Jews are guilty of His blood, Peter says. 
Now, please recall a few things, if you will. First, Peter is standing in the city of Jerusalem. The same city where Peter denied knowing Jesus of Nazareth three times just some seven and a half weeks ago. Just some 50 days prior, in this same city, they crucified the Lord of glory. Now here's Peter, standing up, standing up before all of these people, and he is indicting them of the first degree murder of the Son of God. He's convicting them of their grievous sin of crucifying Jesus, and, and he may as well be next. Jesus told him that he would be crucified at the end of the Gospel of John. What better time to be crucified? Once again, the extreme boldness of Peter. And yet a lot of times we, including myself, are too afraid to share the Gospel with our friends and our family members and our neighbors for fear of what they might think of us. Now let that sink in a little bit. Now, in verse 24, Peter begins to speak of the resurrection of Christ. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. You thought that you could just get rid of Him? You thought that you could just crucify Him and be, be done with your problem? That you could go back to your dead religion and your superstitious ways? doesn't work that way. God raised Him up. You can't just ignore Him. You won't be able to just wish Him away. You're going to have to deal with Him. And His death and His resurrection, it's not only just the height of the glory of God, but it validates exactly who He said He was. Verse 24, because it was not possible that He should be holded of it. Now, verses 29 to 32 simply say this, that, that David who prophesied, did not speak of himself being resurrected. No, he was sleeping with the fathers, but King David is speaking of the greater son of David, the one that would come from his own loins, Jesus Christ. And in verse 33, we see the exaltation or the elevation of Christ. Verse 22, we see the life of Jesus. Verse 23, we see his death. Verse 24, his resurrection. And verse 33, his exaltation. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Being exalted to the right hand of God the Father is to be placed in a position of highest honor and greatest power, a place of supreme authority. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this, which you now see in here, verse 34. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith himself, and then Peter begins to quote, from Psalm 110, verse 1. This is a powerful psalm, the, the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. God the Father is speaking to God the Son. This is an inner Trinitarian conversation that we see taking place in the Godhead. And, and I want you to also notice the equality of, of both of these in Psalm 110, verse 1. They're both Lord. They're both God. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit. 
That was something a priest did not do in the Old Testament. They did not sit because their work was never done. It was never finished. But Jesus, by one sacrifice, by one death, has perfected for those who will draw near to Him. Lord Jesus is now seated because of the sufficiency of His sacrifice. Because of the sufficiency of His blood. Because of the perfect work that was done on the cross. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now, verse 36. Peter brings all of this to perfect completion, to, to finality. He gets to the therefore. The conclusion of his sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know certainly, that is without a doubt, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Brethren, please notice that no one can make Jesus Lord in their own life. There's only one that makes Jesus Lord, and that is God the Father. What each one of us must do is humble ourselves, submit totally and entirely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which God has ordained. And you also see how Peter has used all three names here in verse 36. Jesus, Lord, and Christ. Peter is making himself as clear as he can possibly be. Each one of these names means something. Jesus, of course, is His saving name. Matthew 1 and 21. And thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Christ is His anointed name. He is the anointed one by God with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work of salvation and the will of God. And Lord is His sovereign name. It means that He is supreme. He has supreme authority at the right hand of God the Father. That He is ruler over it all. He is Lord over it all. There is not a single fiber or fabric in the entire created order where Jesus Christ is not Lord. This is a powerful presentation of Christ. And brethren, when we go out and we are evangelizing, this should be our goal. This should be what we so, dese- so desperately desire to do. Share Jesus with people. And when we find opportunity in the conversation, we need to run to the Lord Jesus. Let Him be what our witnessing to others consists of. Not the ball game. We need to be as Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2. For I have determined not to know anything among you save Christ and Him crucified. Now some will use this text to say that Christ never talked about, or Paul never talked about anything else. That's not true. But the most important thing that Paul was determined to discuss and to know is Christ and Him crucified. The life, the death, the resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord. These should be the most important, most critical things that we share with people. Get to Jesus and stay there. Now finally, verse 37. What I want us to notice is that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be people filled with repentance. 
Now when they heard this, when they heard the word of God preached and proclaimed by Peter, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice verse 37. Peter's sermon here is interrupted. It's interrupted by these people in the audience that could not bear the weight of their sin any longer. The heavy hand of conviction, it's it's moved them. And I want you to know tonight that the Word of God is the only thing that can do this. For the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The Word of God is what pierced their hearts. The Word of God is what convicted them of sin in their life. And then the question was asked, What shall we do? Peter's response, verse 38. Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance is not just simply saying, I'm sorry, God, I've sinned. That's not at all what repentance is. It is a change of the mind, a complete about face, if you will. It is when one turns from the world and from the things that it has to offer him into Jesus Christ and embraces him as Lord by submitting to his will. Verse 38, And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you're here tonight and your sin is heavy on you, your conscience is condemning you, I want you to know it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter at all. This message is still for you, friend. Jesus is the solution, and I plead with you tonight to turn your life over to Him. Remove yourself from the helm of your own vessel and place Jesus in charge of your life tonight. Repent of your sins today. Turn from the world and turn and run to Jesus. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away. Have a good conscience towards God. Have confidence in Him and His power to save sinners. The last thing that I want us to notice in verse 39 before we close. Peter, throughout this entire text, preached the Word of God. He delivered to these people the gospel. He laid it out before them. But then he left the rest up to God. Tonight, I leave the rest to God. And as we offer this invitation, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I plea with you to come and to kiss the Son tonight. Get your life right with God. Place your faith in Him and have confidence in Jesus Christ. And if you need the prayers of the church tonight for whatever reason, please come forward as we stand and sing this song that's been selected.